Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this week's podcast episode. In today's episode, I'm with Greg Elfring from Empire Flippers, because as you guessed it, Mark is still sipping cocktails in Bali. But it's fine because Greg is a lot more funny than Mark and he knows a lot more about buying and selling websites, which is what we're going to be talking about today. My goal for today's interview is pretty simple. First, I want to understand how much money I can make in 2020 if I'm selling or exiting an authority site. I want to know both the high end and the kind of average what people make in general. The second thing I want to understand is what buyers are willing to pay premium for. So you can do these things on your website and if you're considering exiting your business, then you can make more money from your exit. And finally, the last thing I'm trying to understand is there is a lot of new business models coming up with a lot of money being invested in buying websites from private equity and other things in the market. I want to get Greg's perspective and I want to understand how you can take advantage of this. So without further teasing, let's jump into the interview right now. But before we do, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button below and give us a thumb up if you enjoy this kind of deep interviews. Let's get going. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Before we get started with Greg, I've got to make a statement. If you don't have a business card from Greg that is going to be on the podcast today in your world, you're probably not an SEO, at least not an SEO that gets out of the room he does SEO in. Because if you attend any live event where Greg is, the chances are you will get a dozen of his business cards. At least, you know, I found one on the urinal in Chiang Mai SEO when I went to the toilet. And the other day, I actually found my dog playing with one of your business cards as well, Greg. So uh, my first question is like probably the deepest question we're going to have for this whole podcast, which is how much per year do you spend on business cards? Oh, you know, it's economies of scale, right? So I get them fairly, fairly cheap. I like business cards, man. That, those, uh, that's how you sell high ticket businesses, right? I do all of that on purpose. Like there's nothing more forgettable than going to a networking event and someone just handing you a business card. You're like that's it. Like I, I've had so many like random encounters now with people who have experienced this like marathon of my business cards, like for your dog finding it like six months after the event too. There, there's this other girl I, I went to uh, a lot of conferences with and I eventually got to the point where I was like sneaking them in her purse and stuff. And then she just started handing them out with other people. Uh, Rafid from uh, the search initiative or one of the guys over there, he came over to my booth at last chain SEO. He's like, hey, man, give me some of your business cards. I gave him like a stack <laughs> and he actually took them to his table to start handing them out. So it's all part of the plan. <laughs> I guess I guess it kind of works. It's kind of like the animation <laughs> around it that works. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. But in all seriousness, let's just go back to like what you guys actually do. Can you just explain for those who don't know, which honestly, given the amount of stuff you guys sponsor, I'd be surprised what you guys do at Empire <laughs> Flippers. And give me an idea of like how many deals you do per year, like the scale of the operation, basically. Yeah, sure. So what we do, if you know, no one knows what Empire Flippers is, we are an M&A brokerage for online businesses. So the exact kind of businesses that you teach your students to build, that's the type of businesses we sell. We also do e-commerce and SaaS apps, a bunch of other random esoteric ones as well. But that's what we do. And I'm, I'm the director of marketing. So I oversee the whole uh, the marketing component. What was the second part of your question there, Gail? So it's like, how big is Empire Flippers? Oh, uh, yes, the deals, deals. How many deals you guys do per year? That kind of stuff, like just to get yeah, an idea. Yeah. So yeah, I was just looking at the industry report. So this is something we're, we're trying to publish every year. The first one was last year. I believe the number was 273 businesses in 2019, 
274 in 2018 and 179 back in 2017. So we've grown a lot. And what's interesting about the 2018 to 2019 is even though we sold one less business in 2019, the actual mm-hmm. average sales price went dramatically up. I, I don't have it, the sheet in front of me, but it's a huge percentage. It's basically like from, I think it was 118,000 in 2018 as average deal size to 189,000 as average deal size. And we've sold like probably pretty close to more seven figure businesses this year than all the other years combined. So it's, it's been, it's yeah. been good for us. Fair enough. Like, you guys don't just sell content size, even though that's what we focus on here. Like, what's the biggest, the most expensive content size that you guys sold? Do you have an idea at least? Or? Yeah. So the biggest one we sold was, uh, I think, two years ago. It was $1.7 million. And I, I've been through your core scale, and you, you design much more beautiful sites than this site was. <laughs> so that should give you some inspiration. Yeah. Some inspiration uh, so- to, like, go to the bottom and just... <laughs> <laughs> I screw all this design. I'm spending too much yeah. time on it, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, 1.7 million biggest uh, content site. That was a straight up like affiliate site, very similar to what you teach your students to build with review articles, best X for Y, all that stuff. Biggest business in general, I believe, was an Amazon FBA, and that was about 4.2 million. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Like, I mean, Amazon FBA is just a different beast, right? It's just like a much more oh, cash flow intensive, etc. What's the percentage of like content sites against the other types of sites that you guys sell? Like, what is the stuff you sell the most of? And what do you see like growing or going down, etc.? Like, what do people mm-hmm. want, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so as far as what we sell in the marketplace the most is Amazon FBA nowadays. Uh, we still sell a ton of content sites, of course. That's our bread and butter. That hasn't really gone down over the years. It's just Amazon FBA has dramatically gone up. So those are the two main business models. Uh, one business model that I, I think will be you'll be seeing on our marketplace more this year is SaaS. So we just listed mm-hmm. a two million dollar SaaS business, for instance. Uh, so that's a like probably the area we have the most room to really grow in since we kind of dominate the other two. It's just like you know less growth opportunity there because we're so well known in those two spaces now. But FBA and content for sure biggest ones. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny to see how you guys evolved because initially it was like AdSense flippers or something that it was called. Oh, yeah, flippers. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. At the time, so at the time it was like, I think the model was like, you know, build sites that make a dollar a day and have like <laughs> 2,000 of them, you know? That was exactly and, the model. They would make like 14, <laughs> 50 bucks a month and you go sell them for 20X. So like when I first came on board with EF, everyone was like, You're, you guys only sell things at 20X and we were trying to like get rid of that, <laughs> you know, part of our history. <laughs> I think you should embrace it. I think it's fine. I think it just shows also how far the industry has come. Oh, because yeah, it's like, huge. It's like if you look at the evolution, even if you go to like live events, etc., which you, you do a lot these days, you see that the people that used to do these kind of tiny sites as well now are like running teams of like 50 people, 100 people, whatever, running in the biggest niches, etc. Uh, I was actually catching up with uh, my friend Kevin Espiritu. He's been on the podcast a few times here. Yeah. And same thing, he's like killing it. He's like, he might even be on TV in the US and everything right now just from his authority sites and stuff. And it's funny to see how far this industry has evolved. And, and I'm curious to see like how far it's going. But like, you guys were like one of the pillars that kind of like started it with uh, the Tropical MBA and all these things, etc. I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's quite interesting. And it's also interesting to see how the topics are changing. So like, it's like there's still a, a lot of people that are interested in like, oh, how do I rank on Google? But more and more, it's more about like, oh, how do I build a team? How do I like scale this up? How do I do more of this, et cetera? And, and I think you guys are like, you, you guys are pushing that kind of stuff as well. So it's pretty cool. 
I, or just real quick on Kevin, uh, I follow him too. And like, uh, I've, I've had a few conversations with him, really cool guy. And like, I think he is just at the beginning of what he can yes. really do. With he's going to be massive, site. actually. Oh, he's uh, going to be, I, I, he's going to be like the Jamie Oliver of gardening. I believe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but like the cool thing about it, like he is a great example, right? Like that site just was the site that I'm he initially sure had. Was, yeah. Just like anything else, like all of our SEO friends build. And all he did was decide to go a step further, which is something you and I have talked about a lot at conferences, you know, how very few SEOs ever, you know, take that step back to see the bigger picture, what they can build. That's right? why I like him a lot because he went past it. And, um, and I think yeah. it's working well. And I think it shows that you, you can actually build a real business from these things. And uh, I think that's what you talk about when you did this like nine figure exit type speech <laughs> in China. <laughs> My flyby speech, 15 minutes. Hey, 132 million exits. <laughs> <laughs> that caught people's attention. One question I wanted to ask though, it's like, I want to understand how you guys value sites because kind of like my goal with this interview is to understand like how people can get the best deal trying to exit their sites and like understand that kind of whole process, etc. So I want to understand how you guys value sites and maybe how this has changed in the past 12 months or so. Like a lot of things have changed in online marketing, etc. And I want to know if that impacts site valuation or not really. Yeah, so one of the big things, and this this isn't really like a you know 2019 change by any means. This is a change that's been happening as the industry matures. And uh, like I, I literally just saw another person bring this up in another group, uh, and that's about the value of a brand, right? Most SEOs building these sites, they're not thinking about brand. Like Kevin, he's thinking about a brand, right? He's building a real brand. Most SEOs are building like a cash flow stream, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a, let, let's say you had a, a site like, uh, I don't know, just bought a DSR, bestreaddsrs.com, you know, EMD or whatever. And that, say you got that site up to a valuation of $600,000, $650,000. And there was another website that was like camerahero.com or something like that. And it was making a little bit less than that site. That site would probably actually go for a higher value because as you get bigger, those investors and buyers want real brands, right? They're not... They're not interested in the cash flow play. And now you're starting to see a lot more of those sites go that way, which to me, I think that's a really good thing because that means they're focusing on things outside of just like, how can I rank in Google for this keyword or whatever? They're building you know, really good content, really good stable businesses. Yeah, I mean, that kind of was my, my question next, basically. Like, basically, if you take like SEO in the past, let's say year and a half versus SEO the years before that, it's so much more unstable now. I mean, we literally had an article <laughs> that came out two days ago that said Forbes lost 90% of their traffic. Oh, so, yeah, I saw that. That's crazy. I haven't read the article. I just saw the headline. But Yeah, if Forbes is at risk of losing this much traffic, pretty much everyone is at risk. Like everyone that's listening yeah. to this podcast is at risk, right? And so what I wanted to try to understand is, has that influenced the way you guys value websites? Because it seems like there's a lot more volatility in the market than there was, to, at least for the sites that mostly rely on Google, right? It's like if you have multiple sources of traffic, et cetera, it's debatable. Mm -hmm. But like as a person that ranks websites every day and that works with people that does that, like I've seen perfectly fine sites take massive hits in the last two years. And, um, and to be frank, no SEO has come out and been able to explain it properly, uh, <laughs> to my knowledge, despite them trying very hard. So I want to understand, do buyers feel the same way and does that impact the market? So yes and no, right? So if you look over the span of years of us doing this and something we've always said is you got to avoid those critical points of failure in your business. Mm -hmm. So a critical point of failure is, is if that one thing fails, you don't have a business anymore. 
So in your world, that's usually if you lose all your rankings in Google, right? Mm -hmm. For most of your students is that way because they only have one traffic source. So while there is all these Google algorithm updates that are happening a lot more recently, it feels like, this was always the same risk. It was so the value, the valuation there hasn't really changed, and vice versa for like some Amazon FBA people who think they're safe. Well, your whole business is built on Amazon's platform. Most of these businesses are you know solopreneurs with one traffic source, usually one monetization, and these are real critical points of failure. And that is one reason they get lower multiples than say mm-hmm. if they were a bigger business with diverse traffic, diverse offers, diverse omni-channel marketing, all that kind of stuff, right? So we've always looked at it that way. So as far as we're concerned, it's still relatively the same. I know some SEOs are going to be like, what? But it's so crazy out there now. But like, that's an example of SEOs being too deep into SEO to see like this same factor actually exists in almost every other traffic out, uh, platform out there. Yeah, I think the, the risk is the same. Like the, the consequences of this happening is the same, but the chances of it happening seem to be quite a bit higher lately. Don't you agree with that? At least on the SEO side. Yeah, I I guess the recent updates, I think it is a little bit more tumultuous in the SEO world Mm -hmm. as well. You're seeing other things are happening in like, say, like Facebook ads, for example. I have a friend, he had pretty good business, decent business, uh, doing pretty well, multiple six-figure business. And he's going to shut the door on that business because how he got all that money was through a specific kind of ad set and targeting that became more and more expensive, right? Now that's a different thing than an algorithm. At least you know what's going on, which is nice. <laughs> Versus it's not like as overnight like, as it is, yeah. Yeah, Google was like trying to, you know, divine, divine the bone throw, you know, what could this be? <laughs> so it is, it is a bit weirder in, in that sense. But from a valuation standpoint, I think buyers still absolutely love SEO. Yeah. Uh, okay, because, you so know, the demand the is traffic, still similar, basically. Oh, the demand's huge. I, I'd say the demand has actually increased. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, it's not really your job to set the price anyway. It's just a supply and demand game, right? So it's like, the, my main question yeah. was like, like, do people, like, has that impacted demand? And it seems like it's not the case, right? No, no. Like I said, I think demand has actually increased. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot more buyers come into our space. And the content model is just a super attractive model, right? So... I, I think that demand is actually going to increase. Yeah, for sure. Hands off. Is that um, is that what people are looking for in content sites? Like like the, the not not too much work and uh, basically return like decent return on your capital. I think it depends. You know, every buyer is different, right? I think if you're a brand new buyer, it's attractive because there's just less moving parts, right? Versus an e-commerce business or a SaaS mm-hmm. business for sure. If you're a veteran of the space, especially if you grew up, you know, building niche sites and stuff like that, you just automatically know what to do, right? Like it's a very simple process. Like, oh, this is only as uh, Amazon affiliate offers. I'll throw on display ads. I'll do CRO. You know, you, you got kind of like an action plan already yep. there. So I think it's an attractive business model, whether you're brand new or a veteran, and that gives it the widest, you know, buyer pool out there. Yeah, actually, like, can you give me an idea of like, who are the buyers, like kind of like different personas and maybe like what percentage of the market they represent so that I get an idea of like where the biggest pool is. And essentially the underlying question to this is, I'm a content site builder. Who should I target to sell my website? (laughs) (laughs) Just come onto our marketplace, Gil. Well, the Uh, thing is like the way I build it will attract different people, right? And so so that's why I'm kind of asking that. so the, it, it does span everywhere. So we, we have like mainly six buyer personas that we, that we use in our own personal marketing. And we, we have a blog post about it. I can send it to you. This is pretty much everyone that buys a content site. And similar with e-commerce, these same personas exist in every model. 
there's a newbie, like I mentioned, we call him newbie norm, you know, maybe he's looking for job replacement income, stuff like that. If you're trying to sell to someone like that, and it'll be pretty easy to spot if that is who they are, you know, because maybe they don't know terminology, all that kind of stuff, asking a lot of like what feels like basic questions doesn't mean they don't have money and they don't have the, you know, the grit to make this acquisition succeed, right? Uh, they just don't know yet. So they're still feeling around. If you're trying to sell to someone like that, the best thing you can do is just be super, super supportive. You know, have really good SOPs, offer maybe instead of a 30 day, a 60 day. So what you're trying to do is make sure the buyer's confident that, you know, okay. that you're in it with them a little bit. You're not just going to like leave once they get the money if something bad happens, right? Then there's the more uh, experienced people, like we call them portfolio Pauls. And these people would be very similar to like what you and Mark are. They have several different sites. They know what they're doing. They're buying sites instead of building them because it's just a faster timeline to make more money quicker, typically, if you know what you're doing. So that's who they are. Very similar to what you, you and Mark right now. Uh, then there's the flipper Fred who they go in and just like a real estate person, they're looking to buy something. So they're probably going to be buy something below market value, ideally. If there's nothing wrong with your site, they're probably going to negotiate you pretty hard on price because just like buying a home, you have to buy below market value, fix it up, and then realize all the profits when you go and sell that business six months, 12 months down the road after you're done acquiring it. Then there's some higher level ones, but those are like the three or, or the yeah three main ones. There's also like strategic sallies. So this would be someone who like, say they had a jump rope e-commerce business, they buy your health and fitness website because there's synergy, right? Uh, those are the most rare ones, I would say. Definitely the ones that are willing to pay you the most because the, the sums of those parts equate really big revenue for them. So they're usually less like uh, hard on price. They're willing to pay more. Then there's uh, investors, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but they tend to partner with operators and they're more, even more hands off. They're really just like the, the money men, if you will. What's the biggest part of the market though? Like, like, like you, you mentioned several personas, like, like what are like the fast growing segments and like the segments that maybe like go down or like are a little bit mm -hmm. less present? So newbie norm is for sure the biggest, right? Uh, and that, and the reason why that is, is just because more and more people are coming to our space. So therefore there's more people who are new to our space. So they'll always probably be the biggest demographic. Portfolio Pauls is super common. A lot of portfolio Pauls are starting to become more like the investor Ivans. So they, they're very similar in their mentality a lot of the times too. Strategic Sally always, it probably always will be the minority of the group just because the reason I say that is like they're looking for something very, very specific. So the chances of you running into them is usually pretty low. And the chances of them using a broker even is pretty low because they're looking for something so specific that, you know, they'll have to wait forever unless they ask the broker to go find that business for them, which sometimes does happen. Okay, I see. Is that like... What is like really hot with buyers right now? Like what is something that looking, you mentioned the brand earlier, right? Is it the main mm -hmm. thing they're looking for? Like what is something that you can't find in most sites on your marketplace, but that most buyers want? Mm, that is a good question. I would say something that would be really attractive to a buyer is if you had an email list and an email list that you actually use. So we get these, and this sounds a bit crazy. Uh, I'm sure it will sound crazy to you too, but we have these uh, sellers, they'll build out these email lists on their site because they I think they'll add them. value. Yeah, and they never mail them, right? It's like, uh, I think I told I you before, it's like a gym membership. You never go to the gym though, but we know it's good for you, right? So a good email list that you can prove is monetized, that is adding revenue, that is huge value because that email list, it is 
a traffic source you own. It is a traffic source you can create new traffic sources with and like lookalike audiences, retargeting, all that good stuff, bringing people back to your content. is just super valuable and very few uh, content site owners I know do anything with it. Yes, the people are pretty bad. It's kind of like one of my resolutions this year actually is Atari Hacker Pro is to like push people to do more like this kind of email and return <laughs> traffic. Because I think people are getting a little too obsessed with uh, just SEO. It's just, you know, I mentioned that with Matthew Woodward when I did the, pl the podcast. It's like people, like it's so much easier to just like add another review to be created by your authors in your project management <laughs> system than yeah. to actually figure out the email marketing stuff. And I don't blame people on the moment, but like, yeah, then they're like literally standing on one leg and Google cuts the traffic, then kind of hurts, you know? Um, 100%, man. Even to the point where like, I, you know, I tell people to go create videos and I'm trying to create videos on their web, but like and most SEOs, they don't want to create a video, right? And they're like, I don't know anything about this product. I just have writers doing it. Like, well, you can just hire an expert on that product or in that niche yeah, yeah. to do like an unboxing video or whatever, you know, like at least you're getting different types of traffic. You know, there's out. services in the US that do that for you where you order on Amazon, oh, really? go to their studio, they take photos, videos, <laughs> etc., send them to you and then you can use it in your content. Can't remember oh, the name, wow. I'll put it in the show notes, but like we, we looked at that actually <laughs> for some of our sites because we're not That's in the cool. US. So for us, for example, like doing this kind of stuff is kind of complicated when we live. I mean, now Mark is in the UK, so it's a bit easier, but when we were both in Hungary, it was very difficult. So we're looking yeah. at these things and um, yeah, it's like, uh, it's definitely possible and they have the studios, they have all of that. They do that for e-commerce, but you can do that as an affiliate as well, basically. Yeah, um, I've actually heard of, uh, of e-commerce people doing that, like, you know, for their product listings or whatever, but I hadn't heard of people with content sites doing it. And I think that's a great idea. Like there's tools out there, like uh, I think it's called Copwing, Capswing, something like that. I, I'll show you the link, but like there's so many easy tools that you can make a cool video with, even if it's a, know kind of a text-based video like just that adds like doing that sets sets you apart from like 99% of affiliate SEOs, right like the thing is like in and you know that's the question I, I had Matthew was on the podcast and the question I asked him he was like oh I'm doing this for my sites etc I'm like yeah but does it make financial sense can you calculate the return investment on this extra spending <laughs> and effort uh, yeah. and and let's be honest for a second Google does not reward this that much if your main traffic source is Google right it's like Usually it's kind of like a shitty roundup review that ranks number one anyway, because the guy just bought more links <laughs> instead of doing videos. Let's be honest for a second. And I think it's a bit Google's fault if that's not happening as well. If they were rewarding this a bit more, maybe people would, uh, would try a bit harder, you know? Yeah, I, I listened to that episode. I, I really liked that, uh, that episode and what Matt had to say there. And, and he's not wrong. He's totally right. The reason why I brought up the video, though, is to get a different traffic source. So mm -hmm. YouTube, Daily Motion. Probably not going to get as much as Google, right? Google probably, probably still be your lion share. Like, probably not daily motion. Are, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just I just thought I would support a non-Google company for once, you know? <laughs> yeah, Instagram but, TV but, or something. Snapchat. Yeah, Instagram TikTok. TV, all that TikTok. stuff. TikTok, yeah. I just go. saw uh, a video of a guy who sold like six luxury real estate properties with TikTok video. Blew my mind. <laughs> to like but, 14 uh, years old Twitch Millions, yeah, of you know? course, using oh. their mom's credit card, buying the four-bedroom house <laughs> of the dreams. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, there, there's a lot of different traffic sources out there. And like, I totally agreed with what he had to say about the video not really being worth it. Mm -hmm. I think the video is worth it if you figure out a process to do it. Like, if you're going, like, all-out studio, like, production, like, maybe that's a bit much. Like, 
it might be okay to have a you know lower quality video or whatever you know it doesn't have to be a hollywood blockbuster right like i i have I this dslr hopefully this footage comes out right but i have this like crap light like shining on my face and the <laughs> cameras cameras on this like box because i just got this camera i don't have the proper setup you know like just try do stuff right exactly and you know it's like it's funny we're starting to do videos this um this year as well and um what i'm realizing is actually it's just better to like output larger volumes of less produced videos. So like this podcast are a good example, for example. We're just having discussion, creates content. I can like cut it in like small pieces that we put on yeah. social media, etc. And I see that I'm reaching more people doing this than like overproducing one big fancy video. And then it's going to reach people once here. It's going to get three times the reach, but I'm going to have like 10 times less videos. So it's going to actually works better that way. <laughs> but let's go back to the questions about selling your website, please. <laughs> Sorry, tangent, tangent. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we do that with Mark all the time. Um, <laughs> one other question I wanted to ask about valuation of like, let's say I want to set a website. And it's like, you know, Mark and I, we're pretty clean when it comes to like link building, when it comes to the way we build our sites, we try to invest in good content, etc. Let's say that there's literally another site that's against our site that has shitty spun content that has PBN links yet ends up ranking the same as us, making the exact same amount of money. How are you going to value these sites differently? Or are you going to value these sites differently? Or are you going to just focus on the actual revenue? Yeah, that's a great question. So if it has PBN links and there, there's nothing wrong with PBNs, like I, I personally don't like them myself, but we, we sell sites that have PBN links. So I, throwing that it's caveat not out there. It's just against Google to yeah, service. But right. Like, I don't like them because I think they're annoying to run and manage. I think it's e like actually easier to do white hat at scale. I think PBNs at scale are way more cost prohibitive. But anyways, that's a different different point completely. Uh, when it comes to actually selling one of these websites, say they did have PBN links, typically they're going to be worth at least 10% less than other sites. Not all the mm -hmm. time, but tend to get uh, less value. Also, that's 10% list price. They actually sell often for lower because there's there's always two things you got to balance when selling a business. Uh, what the actual sales price is, like what your valuation is, but also how attractive is that business. And if you have a PBN, that makes your business inherently less attractive, especially if a buyer knows what a PBN is, maybe even less attractive if the buyer doesn't know what a PBN is. You really got to sell through that to you know build that confidence in the buyer. So it becomes much more difficult to sell and often you get a lower price because of that. Now, as far as uh, uh, shit content goes, it depends. You know, it's such a, a subjective thing, right? Like we definitely have sold sites with very not great content. I don't think they got a high valuation because of that. They probably got a, a higher valuation because of the you know mm -hmm. cash flow that it's generating. But that is still an awesome buy if you're the buyer and you see like, oh, this content's terrible. I can fix this up and it's going to be converting like gangbusters now, right? Very similar to a UX problem. Like the site isn't necessarily ding because it has a poor design, but that is a good opportunity for the yeah, buyer. Yeah, okay, I see. Uh, that's a good argument that basically it is something that you can easily fix and get more value out of the asset you bought, basically. Yeah. So would you say that like sites that are like good overall, but have one major flow sell, sell easier? Nah, that's a great question. <laughs> Again, it depends on the buyer, man. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've been uh, hit up by SEOs that are like, you know, they're looking at a site on our marketplace and say I had like declining traffic or declining earnings and they're like, why would you ever sell this site? No one would ever buy it. Like, well, you wouldn't buy it. I have a lot of other buyers who are very up on SEO that love this site because it has a penalty, right? Because they get to buy it on a discount. So some people love 
what I call wounded business, very similar to buying a house that needs to be fixed up a bit, right? Mm -hmm. You have to put it in the elbow grease, and but that's exactly your criteria. Some buyers just absolutely don't want to you know, ha have that. They want a business that's already sound, no real flaws, and they'll probably pay a higher price for that business too. So it just kind of depends who you are and what you want. Okay, fair enough. Let's just take an example that people are going to love, even though I hate talking about it. Let's say house <laughs> good, ambition good. that's been going down a lot. Like it doesn't get nearly as much traffic as it used to be. Still, there's like thousands of pages of content it used to make great money, great history. Let's say at least on Empire Flippers. How do you mm -hmm. value that? Like there's a lot of assets on this, but the monetization is not here because there is, uh, it's just like a lot of pages are not ranking anymore. Would you say like, how would that be valued? Uh, I mean, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but based off what I, I know of health ambition, you would probably get a lower multiple than what it was in the heyday, right? Because it's been, yeah. it's been year over year decline, right? But it's stabilized now, right? Or is yeah, it still yeah. declining? It is still declining? No, it's still stable, it's stable now. It's stable oh, okay, on, cool. a, on the low, but it's stable. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you'd probably be in a good position to at least still get a decent multiple. So that year over year decline, you would have to take into account. You'd also have to take into account that other thing I said about attractiveness. You're just going to have a smaller buyer pool looking at that because they're going to see that you know traffic and income graph going down. That's going to scare away buyers with certain criteria and leave you with the ones that are the deal hunters, right? So you'll, you'll have a lower valuation, less attractiveness, but overall it's stable, right? So like that doesn't make it an unsellable asset. There's a lot of people out there who would absolutely love to buy it. So we would, go, we would do the exact same thing we do with the rest of the businesses that go through our valuation process. You know, we look at the content, look at the backlinks, uh, how long has it been stable? What's its 12 month average, six month average, three month average? You know, what was this dip about? What was this spike about? Oh, you know, that whole vetting process, we would do it with, with the business. It's just because it is trending down, you would probably get a lower, uh, lower but would you put any bonus on the amount of assets available? Let's say like, despite the fact, let's say like I have that site that has all these stuff, like all this content, even though it's, let's say it has a thousand pieces of content, but it's performing at the level of a site that has a hundred pieces of content. Do I get a bonus for these 900 extra pieces of content? Or do, is it just like, well, so it's not making money. You don't get paid anything for that. Yeah, it kind of goes back to the email argument, right? Like, oh, I have yeah, an email yeah. list of 15,000 people that I've never emailed and collected over years. This is valuable. Like, well, maybe to someone, you know, that, like, there is someone out there that might think all that content is valuable, right? Uh, yep. But we got to look at the business as is. So this is where the business is today. It does have all these assets, which might sell the business better, right? Because that buyer will look at that and that becomes an attractive signal to them to buy this business that is wounded, but it has all this content that they can kind of rework with, right? Yeah. So like it wouldn't really affect the valuation, uh, but it could make your business more attractive, which would make it easier to sell. So basically the answer, the plain English answer is no, it, you don't get any bonus for this. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest for a second. <laughs> yeah. So, that was same, just same thing as trying to say in a nice dollars. way, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know me, man. I'm, I always try to be nice. I'm not, I don't want to hurt your feelings by your thousands of pages of content. Honestly, right I don't. I don't care. You know that site. That site was like a great profit to build for us anyway. Like we've made our profit uh, a long time ago. But I think a lot of, because I was talking about all these variations in Google. A lot of people are in this situation, right? And they might be considering selling, which is why I'm asking. Actually, another question I wanted to ask, and and I know we disagreed about this in the past, so it's going to be an interesting question. Oh, good controversial um, time. <laughs> yeah, that's like the social clips, you know, like we started. Now, it, it, you know? Wait, wait, before you ask me, can we make sure it's more controversial than that last episode with Mark talking about the God marketing strategy? 
the God <laughs> marketing strategy? <laughs> with the, with the, like, yeah, the copywriter on. Uh, yeah, it was ah. actually really good. The, the, what did he call it? Like the eight-step Messiah process or something like that? It was, it was awesome. Though. But let's make it more controversial than that, Gail. All right, let, let, let's try. <laughs> so it's something that I disagreed with, with Empire Flippers in the past. I'm happy to say that, but I'm sure you guys, I mean, we had a lot of discussions about this. But basically, one time we came to you guys with a site that had staff that was uh, well-trained, oh, knew the I know niche, where you're going. knew the products, knew all of that. And I spent tens of thousands of dollars hiring and training these people, which are pretty valuable if you want to grow that site, right? Mm-hmm. And so when we came for the valuation, <laughs> you guys said, sorry, guys, that's a cost. That means your site is actually cheaper now. <laughs> and I was like, what? And so like, how do you guys value teams that come with, with the site? Because I was like, the buyer can just buy it and fire them the next day if he's not happy. And essentially, mm-hmm. like revenue goes up because costs go down, you know? How is that a fixed cost when so I, you have a com- complete control over it, you know? Yeah. So this is also the site where we were talking about growth expenses with content, right? I think, I think it's yeah. the same one. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah. So this is something that we actually pivoted on after that conversation with you. It honestly is a legacy thing, right? Like, so... We come from the background of selling like those $14,000, $15,000 sites. And that's just was the easy way to evaluate it. It was right back then for those kind of sites, but you never really had teams back then. So like yeah, anything yeah, that like cost you money, yeah, like anything that cost you money was an expense, right? But now we have pivoted pretty, pretty, not like super hard. We're still like, it depends on the situation, but we take that into account, right? Like if you have a team, you have like a acting CEO, a management team that are coming with the business, obviously that's going to add value, right? You're getting talent, thought leadership coming with the team. Now, how much value that is, I, you know, there's not, I can't just say it bumps your multiple by one or two or whatever, right? It just, it just depends on a lot of things. But as far as like growth investments, training a team, uh, content, all that kind of stuff, you know, yeah, we, we pivoted pretty hard on that. So I'm basically in agreement with you nowadays. Right. You know, that was a lesson learned. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, this is supposed to be more controversial. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's your fault. You agreed, you know, like you were super disagree and slam the table and just like, da- just damn you for being off. so persuasive, Gail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the one thing where I disagreed with you guys, like in the past, I think it was like around a year and a half ago, something like that. I, I think um, so, yeah. Uh, and you, you were right. And like I said, it was a legacy thing. It was a great learning lesson from us. And I, and I actually think, you know, I, I don't have any analytical numbers on this. It's just a gut thing. I actually think because of that change, we've gotten a lot more really high quality businesses on our marketplace, which, you know, go figure, right? Like it makes nice. obvious sense yeah, why you like, would. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, like, especially these institutional buyers, they're like, they don't want to hire. They don't want to spend time doing that. It's especially if your if your staff knows the products you're talking about, knows all of that, et cetera. Like this stuff I'm talking about, we're literally buying them the products. They were using them all day and they like had access to it, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, but I understand where you came from because I've also built these terrible affiliate sites in the past and I know <laughs> how you used to build them and I understand how, yeah, that was just a cost and you would just hire another writer the next week and it would just be the same and, and essentially, yeah. yeah, I get it. But like, it's nice to see the market move that way. And I think that's also goes in the past of what we talked earlier about, like the, the business progressing and becoming more and more professional. So this is cool. What is one thing that I can do before selling my site that is easy to do? Let's say I have, I want to sell my site in three weeks. I want to list it in three weeks. I have three weeks in front of me. How can I sell my site for more money? What can I do? Mm. 
that's a little bit too short of a time frame. I probably wouldn't recommend you doing really anything if it's only mm -hmm. three weeks. Because the last thing you want to do, right, is you do some big thing like, oh, this is going to increase my <laughs> it just multiple. Down. <laughs> and just, like one, it could tank the business, yeah, yeah. right? Like, oh shit, I guess I'm not selling it three weeks now. <laughs> but the other thing too is like, you know, the, the way the business is valued, if you want the best multiple possibles based off a 12 month average, right? So at yep. three weeks, you're not even getting a, yeah, a month bump to your average. All right, three so months. I, I would have recommended that. Three months, question. okay. Three months, I would actually do this at six months, by the way. <laughs> that to be too All right. thinking, but All right, let's, uh, let's just cut uh, six months. <laughs> <laughs> at six months, I would look at doing, you know, all the CRO, all the on-page stuff. If you have an email list, try to optimize that. Mm -hmm. Basically, I would do what a buyer does, which they come in, they look, they ask, what is the low-hanging fruit that I can do in week one, week two, etc., to up this revenue, right? I would do that exact same thing. Pretend as if you just bought the site and you want to make those quick gains because six months is a good, good chunk of time where CRO or adding the display ads can you know boost the income enough to where it gives you a significant increase in your final list price. Even if you have the same multiple, it would be a significant boost because of the increased revenue. Okay, yeah. I mean, yes, things like I hang out in these events. I know six months is like, people don't know what they're gonna <laughs> eat tomorrow, right? And it's like six months is a long commitment for a lot of people in this industry. That's why I was uh, asking- we're, we're, we're getting old, Gail. Yesterday was actually six months ago in our mind. <laughs> yeah, it's just our brain slowing down, I think. I wanted to ask, why should I hire a broker to sell my site? Like, why can't I, let's say, why can't I go on SEO signal labs and make a poster that I'm selling my affiliate site <laughs> instead of uh, talking to you guys or any other broker for that matter? Well, that depends. If you post a good meme in the SEO signals lab, it won't be taken down. Stephen King, King will, uh, you know, look out for that. That's how he approves those ads. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a good question, man. I get a lot of people say, mainly people are like really, really negative on Reddit people. We're like, oh, brokers, they just like email their list and that's all they do. Like, well, that's clearly not all we do, right? And I think a lot of the times they undervalue that email list. But there are certain cases where you should go private, right? If you already have someone reaching out to you, maybe you already have an audience, like, like you and Mark have an audience, right? Uh, I think it was... Um, don't want to mix the names, Income School. There's another income we'll probably talk about later, but Income School, they just sold a bunch of their websites from their own platform. Their I think website, they sold yeah. mainly, yeah, mainly to their students. Now they have a platform, they have an audience. It's relatively easy for them to do that. It's already built. Most people don't have that, right? Most people don't Which have that. Which is why I didn't so. want to take the example of us, us, because we could do the same as our email list. Right, um, right. But like, yeah, so with those groups, you can go ahead and do that too in those groups and you know save the commission or whatever, and maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, right? If you are brand new, I would always advise using a broker just because you don't know what you don't know, and the broker is going to help make sure mm -hmm. that you're safe. Now, if you're a very busy, you're a high productive person, then the broker can also make sense too. One, the broker tends to give you a higher valuation than what you're going to get privately, even when you factor in the commission. That tends to hold true. You know, I've had a friend, he sold a site for $400,000. He's like, yeah, I would have went with you guys, but I don't want to pay the commission. Uh, he told me about the business. Like, man, this would have been like a $600,000, $650,000 business on our marketplace. And I know you would have gotten a seller. It's a very, very good business. That's one thing. Uh, if you go private, you tend to get a lower sales price, even when you factor in the commission. Also, you don't get the leverage in actual sales team. So 
most SEOs, I mean, me included, I'm not really big into selling people on anything, right? I'm not a fan of it, all that kind of stuff. But we actually have a trained sales team that sells these businesses all the time. And they approach it in a consultative approach, right? So you get to leverage that whole sales team, you get to leverage a betting team, and you get to leverage our technical team on, on the migration department when you do actually sell that business to help mitigate and mediate if anything goes wrong during literally the most important, most annoying section of the sales process where you're actually handing the business over, right? So if you have a, a lot of, if you don't have a lot of time, you're building a lot of stuff, then using us is just like using another agency, right? Like I don't have enough time to write this content. I'm hiring this agency to go do it for me. Even though it's an added cost, I could have written it for free it makes sense. I'm, lev- I'm making a good use of my time. So that's the, the value add of the broker. In addition to all the other stuff, like getting their network of buyers and process all this stuff, you get to leverage their team. Yeah, I think the, the legal aspect people kind of ignore because they assume everything's going to go well. <laughs> uh, I've seen some private sales not go so well. And it's, oh, it's, man. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. It's probably nice to have someone you can fall back to and that has done that before that you can talk to. I think it's like, a little bit reassuring and literally some friends in Budapest sold their, like tried to sell their site the first time without a broker and uh, it literally got cancelled last minute and they already had transferred yeah. the domain but like not the hosting and uh, it was a mess. And, oh, man. Um, uh, yeah man it, it's, it's scary when you do it if you don't know what you're doing and it's your first time like look selling a business is like a, or buying a business for that matter is it's a highlight event you're not doing it every single day of the week you like you, what you're doing with the other stuff so if it's your first time, I, I almost say it's worth just the training you get by using a broker. And, you know, then maybe you go and do a private next time or whatever. I can see that. Yeah, do it in once to right. just see how it works. Yeah, at least. And then uh, just to protect after that, yourself, it's a choice after right? that. Like, is it worth it or yeah. not? How much do you guys charge for that? Yeah, so we we are based on a tiered system. So if if it's less than a million dollars, we charge fifteen percent, which is pretty common. I think most of the other big brokers charge around that. A million to two million dollars, we charge twelve percent. Two to five million is ten, and anything over five million dollars, eight percent. Okay, yeah, okay. So I, it's kind of f- funny because like build a million dollars, like the, I guess you do the same work, but the price must vary a lot, actually. It's funny, dude. Like, so it's actually, in my opinion, harder to sell a four million dollar business than it is to sell a fifteen million dollar business because one, like everything is pretty much the same. Like the work you need to do, mm-hmm. very similar to like lending money. You know, the, it's the same amount of work for the most part. Only the $15 million deal probably has better books, better everything, more street vice. So it's actually it's probably company, easier to basically. do. <laughs> yeah, right. Like a real uh, but company then... versus some dude that got like that, that is pretty organized, but like still probably missing <laughs> his accounting. And right, right. Uh, but, but when you get to that level, also financing opens up, all sorts of different ways you can acquire businesses with private money opens up. That doesn't exist as much in our space. It's starting to, but just not as much. But yeah. Okay, cool. That, that's that makes sense. Now I wanted to like talk more about a personal case, but I'm sure it actually is the case of a lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast. So you know our profile with Mark and I. We're good at growing sites from scratch. We've always mm. started starts sites from scratch. Do you think we should keep doing that? I.e., buy ten dollar domains and start uh, and build them <laughs> up and all sell them slash keep them, or should we start buying sites? Like according to all the people you've met, the experiences, all of that, since you guys are like in that marketplace, you see the people that do the opposite, like what are they doing? What do you think makes more sense, et cetera, based on your experience? Yeah, so I, I have two answers to that. One, I think you, as long as you keep running Authority Hacker, I think it's just good business for you to always be starting new sites, just to keep yeah. showing people that you know you 
do what you say you do and it works, right? So there's that part of it. If you want to go faster, I would say you should look at buying if you're in a good place money-wise because you're going to speed up the timeline. Like, you know, I, I don't know what your average site is, but I usually tell people if you're starting a brand new site, especially if you're new, you're probably not going to really be making anything significant till like month 15. And even then, it might, maybe it's only like 200 The first year bucks. is never very glorious, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you get to skip that entire timeline by buying and you get to do a lot of, you know, all those low-hanging fruit stuff that I just told you about, like adding display ads, zero, et cetera. So you get to level up quicker, has more authority, higher DR, all that kind of stuff. So you can order more content, do all the on-page. You just have a lot more levers to play with. That's the big reason why so many people come in and buy businesses. Uh, it, like we have a lot of friends that they've sold with us, right? They sold on our marketplace and now they're our buyers. And that's a very mm -hmm. common story on Empire Flippers is you sell three or four businesses, then you start buying these smaller businesses, do all those quick wins, you flip, you keep one, grow that and scale it, right? How big is that population? Like how many, like... Don't give you an exact number, but like, is this like 53,000 people? <laughs> is that a few dozen people or is that like hundreds of people doing that? Like, is that a real movement or is that like a kind of like a little pocket of the market? The flippers? The people, the people that like started sell selling and... sites first and now they've, they've changed to essentially becoming buyers and like uh, work on that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. I, I don't know if I feel confident to put a percentage on it, but it's fairly significant, at least at the high end. So mm -hmm. it's significant for in, in the range of people who are buying uh, businesses between 500,000 to even up to 4 million, because that's the range, that within that range, there's a bunch of buyers competing for a business. And those buyers originally got their capital by selling businesses with us. It's becoming more and more common. And again, it goes back to what I just said. They understand, like, they get to buy time. They get to speed up the timeline by 12 to 16 months by buying this business. And if they buy a wounded one that they know how to fix, like Google penalty, bad design, like, it makes sense. Unless you're, like, married to some niche idea. As long as you're niche agnostic, it makes a lot of sense, I think. Niche agnostic. That's, uh, that's called Mark's <laughs> podcast. But, uh... <laughs> bring, bring in the copyright. <laughs> I think, I think we need to start a book, like write a book about being niche agnostic. But like, I'll, I'll write the forward poem. <laughs> Go for it. I think it's quite interesting, especially buying these sites that went down. Because essentially, based on what you told me, you're buying them like based on the, the variation of the law without any kind of upside for the extra content, etc. So worst case, if you don't fix them, it's basically the same as buying a successful site, right? In terms of like ROI. But like, mm -hmm. if you actually manage to like lift them back up and like get get all of this stuff back, then the upside is massive, right? Isn't that what a lot of people are playing right now? Yeah, man, uh, it, it's a huge ROI. Like, it, obviously, it's risky, right? I I never want to come on a podcast and say is buying a business isn't. Yeah, because when I, you when you buy it at a low price, let's say you buy it, let's say that site used to make, I'm gonna take a random number, fifty grand, and now it's at five <laughs> grand. Like, I buy it valued based on like it's making five grand a month, which is exactly the same as a site that just went from zero to five grand, right? Essentially, I'm paying the same price here, except mm -hmm. that other site has like way more content, backlinks and all of that from before it got hit. It's like, even if it never goes back up, I'm essentially making the same money, right? I guess I should reframe what I meant. I meant as risky as in like online business is risky as a whole, right? Uh -huh. So I never want to tell someone like, you're just going to buy this business that, that was making 50K, now it's making 5K and everything is going to be gravy, right? Like that 5k could go away right you could be down to yeah, zero yeah, yeah. so that's the thing I, I meant by risky but in general as an investor i think that is a great way to do it because if if that site did 
go down, right? It obviously has the potential to go up. You, it's in its records, its historical yeah, yeah, yeah. records, right? As long as it's not like a fad, like a fidget spinner or something that maybe won't ever come back to like 30 years or something. No, my, side, my fidget spinner sites. <laughs> You're hurting my emotions right now. Best red fidget spinners dot spin. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you're exactly right. I think it, there's just great value adds. You know, when it comes to buying digital assets, if you look at other assets, like I, I know you just bought like a, an apartment in Budapest, right? Like mm-hmm. say you were buying that as an investment, right? You would look to like a $100,000 property in America, whatever, 1% rule, want to make $1,000 a month. And out of that $1,000 for rent, you're making like 500 bucks maybe once everything is said and done, maybe $400 when you count repairs, yeah, right? $100,000 in a digital asset, like a content site, you're making like four or $6,000 a month, right? Like it's crazy. It's riskier. It's riskier than the real yeah, estate. Yeah, it's like, but you know, there's you can... that notion of timing real estate versus websites. I mean, like <laughs> right. how many yeah, websites yeah. that was started 10 years ago are ranking on Google today? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just Google. <laughs> so, so, exactly. So, while I agree, I also think that you, if you look at the lifetime of an investment in real estate versus a lifetime investment in a website, it's not that far, to be honest. It's just well, I mean, much slower. The thing is, like, if you can make your money fast and reinvest in something more long term, like take 50% of the upside, invest in something like real estate or like stocks yes, and put yes. the rest back in websites, that's when you get rich from this. Yeah. So the way I always tell people, digital assets is the risky one, right? You can invest in it. And unlike real estate and stocks, there is a real opportunity to double or triple the yes. triple the, the, the investment, which I think is like within a year. You know, you can triple that within a year if you're really, really good. If you try to do the same thing in stocks and real estate, I would say that's actually riskier in some aspects because of the things you have to do to triple it I in agree. those industries. But you're exactly right. I think uh, uh, most good most good entrepreneurs should have this like diversification thing. If they buy a digital asset, you know, make it go good flip it, they should put some money aside, one, to pay themselves, but also into other investments that are unrelated to Google and hopefully unrelated to Facebook and unrelated to Amazon. <laughs> right? Maybe we should, uh, on top of the philosophy podcast, we should start the personal finance podcast with Marcus. It's probably like a, <laughs> it's a niche I'd love to get in, but like as myself, like same as what we do for Tori Hiker. It's like, it's something oh, that we've should. talked about. Uh, something we've talked about with really Mark, good. actually. Again, getting off topic here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can introduce you to some of the Choose FI guys. Uh, we have a few of them as buyers of ours, and you know, for the same thing, you know, they see the fast growth that they can have. Obviously, risk and all that stuff. But I bet, I bet you and Mark would do good in that niche. Yeah, I think maybe one day. Also, come on your podcast like, on financial freedom when you start. Maybe, maybe we'll do that one day from a, from our private island in the Bahamas or something. <laughs> perfect, um, perfect setting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, there's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. It's kind of like a third part of this podcast, which is all the kind of like new business models that are coming up with like website acquisition. So like for a long time, it was like a few operators, like you guys were some of the biggest. There was like FEI, there was a few others that were just like site brokers. But now mm-hmm. we're seeing, I mean, we're seeing a lot of money come into buying websites. Like this wasn't as hot of a market five years ago as it is today by a long shot. Um, yeah. And even though I'm not, I don't have the numbers, I can see, like I just, I just see it. And so together with that influx of money, a lot of like kind of like alternative business models, I'm going to say, have popped up where there's like people that like operate your site for you, but take a percentage of equity. There is like people that actually will build the sites for you. There is people that will buy the sites for you. There is all of that happening. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. So let's go through a few of them and kind of like, I want to see how you guys interact with them and like where you see them going. So mm-hmm. 
The first sure. one I want to talk about is site operators. So essentially, there's a lot of people who buy websites, but they're newbies, they don't have the skills to run these things, or they don't have the time to run these things, and they're looking for someone to essentially take that burden on themselves, and they're willing to give them either some equity a percentage of revenue or sometimes just typical agency model, I guess, like a fee or something. So I was thinking of like, I think on Folio, like Dumwells does that pretty much. Mm -hmm. There's like these guys at Alpha Investors as well. And yeah, like that's, that's the two I mentioned, but there's plenty of them. And when I went to the conferences, a lot of people who have agencies especially are very much looking forward to transitioning to becoming site operators for investors. So you've probably seen people take over sites that you've sold. How does that go usually? Yeah, so uh, one, I, I'm actually speaking at a conference in uh, Australia here in a week uh, to agency owners about how they can do kind of do this with their team that they have built because they have some you know unique advantages of already having a team of professionals. But as far as like like what Dom's doing at Onfolio, that like that kind of setup where there is someone coming in giving you money to run this business is actually something that is not new at all. So okay. if you look, in, look into private equity, it's new in our space, but if you look into private equity, how it works, there's a thing called a search fund. So what a search fund is, started I believe in Stanford, but basically is like this ambitious guy, ambitious MBA student who doesn't want to work for someone, doesn't want to work for PE or whatever. Uh, he wants to become his own entrepreneur, right? So what he does is he engages with the private equity firm to create a search fund, they pay him like 60 grand a year to go find a business, usually in the five to $20 million range that he then buys using their money. So the PE gets the deal because he goes finds the deal for them. They pay him very little in PE terms to go find a deal. And then they deploy the capital. And now they got this ambitious guy that they vetted already who has good credentials to run that business for them. So it's, it's like a win-win, right? So what Dom's doing with Onfolio is like a mutated version of that, basically. So mm -hmm. we're seeing private equity coming in. They're basically funding these entities. So in this case, Onfolio, but there's another entity that has bought about $15 million from us over the last, I don't know, 12, 13 months now. Uh, and they're the exact same thing. They raise all this money from PE into their equity because traditional PE doesn't really look at our space because they're, they're looking for things with trans, like transferable management, right? Which none of these businesses typically yes. have. You know, maybe they have a PA or something like that, right? But no real thought leadership happening. So how, how it works out is instead of a search fund where they're buying one business, it's a fund that's buying several businesses and rolling them up into a portfolio underneath one management of that portfolio. So that's kind of how it works. Now, it is relatively new in our space. I'd say in the last two years, it was really starting to take off. And I think last year in particular in the SEO space, like, like we had seen this in the FBA space already, but uh, last year, I think it's really taken off in the SEO space. Yeah, I see that too. It's like basically sites change hands and then there's these kind of like operators. I think it's a massive opportunity if you have an agency and you don't like clients. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Here's my thing. There's a lot of people that are going to listen to this that have an agency and that just like got off the call with an annoying client and they're tired of that. Yeah. Well, the good news is these investors, they don't really want to talk to you. <laughs> they yeah, they don't. You. They just want the money, right? <laughs> they just want you to run the website and they look at it once or twice a year and then they just like essentially keep you accountable. But like you don't really have to explain what you're doing too much as long as the website is doing well. Um, which personally at the time when I had an agency, I would have liked a lot better. And I might not have started authority sites if I had this opportunity, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, 
But like, do you see? Do you see? Like, I've seen, I'm sure you've seen several of these operators. Like, do you think they do a good job overall? Like, um, you don't have to give names. Like, I'm not talking about dumb wells, by the way. At this point, I'm talking about operators in general. Mark but, Webster, he's a terrible operator, Gail. So get, <laughs> don't don't get in a partnership with him. I agree. <laughs> he's making me do all the work. He's in Bali right now, you know, like sipping cocktails, and I'm like, oh man, stuck he's with you. Come visit me in Vietnam. <laughs> terrible friend. Go ahead, hit him up on Facebook after this. But to answer your question, man, like a lot of the answers I've given you today, uh, it just depends, right? Uh -huh. It depends on who the operator is. One thing I, I tell investors, if they're like investor Ivan coming to our marketplace, which sometimes we do connect like a, you know, a person who's moneyed up with an operator. And that's something we want to actually develop uh, down the road into like a real system or whatever. But what I often tell investors who are looking for an operator is if you're talking to an entrepreneur, like say a guy in Chiang Mai, he's built... He's doing the digital nomad life in Chiang Mai. He's built up a content site. Maybe he sold that site for 200K, right? Pretty awesome. Probably a life-changing experience for him. Now, that site was probably making between, I don't know, 10, 20K a month, like somewhere in that range, right? It is not that crazy of a difference to run a business that's making 50 to 70K a month in the I same agree. business model as what they were doing. So I tell investors, look for that kind of track record, who has gone up, because usually they haven't been able to scale up to that bigger site because they just don't have the capital to scale. So that's where the investor comes in and helps that operator. Is this or they like the HR skills usually? They like the hiring ability and outsourcing ability, I would say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you see this in e-commerce, by the way, all the time, because that's such a capital intensive business. Like, we're, like I, I've known FBA people that have grown their business to a million dollar business, and they have like almost nothing in the bank account because it was all the credit cards as they're like, you know, trying to scale up, get that next break on economy of scale. So people who are uh, like PE level money or high net worth individuals, they can come in there and swoop in on those kind of deals because they know they can scale where uh, that seller couldn't. And they just immediately increase the margin. Do you think that's a, a good carry opportunity for people who don't necessarily have the capital right now, but want to be more involved in sites and don't necessarily want to do clients, et cetera? Let's say you have some success. Like, should you be trying to be an operator? Mm, There's a good question. Again, it depends, right? Do you want to be beholden to someone else? Because there's probably going to be some kind of rules involved with that money, right? They're not just going to give it to you and say you can do anything you want. Really? You've got to have a business plan, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe some of them will. It depends how moneyed up they are, how much they care about a return, right? Maybe they don't care. That would be, like, if that's the case, yes, do that. <laughs> if they don't care, <laughs> okay. definitely do that. But yeah, it, it depends, right? Uh, like, do you want to scale into something that's huge? Do you want a lifestyle business? If you're more of a lifestyle person, I'd say that's probably not a good move for you. Just from like, probably a good move for your bank yeah, account. Yeah. Probably not a good move for the other parts of life that matter, which I think a lot of digital entrepreneurs specifically forget forget about. Like, there's you know, other things. Like, maybe turn off the laptop and play some Red Dead Redemption. You know, <laughs> enjoy yourself. That's life. <laughs> But, but yeah, uh, the opportunity, though, is there. Right now, there is so much money in the space and so much more money coming in. You know, as long as we don't have a recession or anything like that, which you know, may happen in the next year, it's a pretty long yeah, bullish knows. market, right? As long as that doesn't happen, though, I see more and more big money coming into the space that will be looking for people, just like your listeners, to partner with on these kind of sites. And they will give you the money to go and acquire these businesses, right? If you do enter into that kind of partnership, Make sure you get you know, legal counsel to look over the contract. You know, don't put yourself in any kind of liability. Make sure it's all above the board and you really understand what you're doing and what they want from you, the money people. And make sure everything's very clear before you go into it. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is like 
it's probably something that if so, if you're really ambitious in this market, but you haven't had the like the opportunity to like work on bigger sites, it's an a really good opportunity to like learn fast, maybe faster than you would on your own. Um, oh, for do sure. That, do that for like you know three five years, and then with that experience and probably the money you've made uh, doing that, then then maybe transition to your own stuff. You know. I think there is an opportunity for like the younger people who listen to this podcast, etc. right now, uh, if you have had some success with that. And so it's like, you know, when I see someone starting an SEO agency in 2020, I'm like, man, you're like 10 years late, you know? Um, <laughs> Why are you starting a Facebook ad agency? Damn. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's so saturated yeah. at this point. And I think that's essentially the new SEO agency, which means there will be a lot of really bad actors in this market as it, as people understand that. Yes. But I do think that is, if you're going to do quote unquote client work, the high opportunity sub market right now, when I see the level of investment there is in websites, I kind of like wanted to get your feel on that, but it seems like you agree with that. Yeah, um, uh, one thing on the agency thing, you know, if, if you do have an agency, say, you know, you have people working for you, they're serving clients and all that stuff. What I tell an agency owner to do instead of like going out and finding, you know, like key people or high net worth individual person is you can go ahead and, you know, start your own site. You can build it from scratch or buy it, whatever that you want. And you should treat that asset as if it is your client, like just mentally and in, even in your agency books, that asset pays your agency X amount of money to do whatever. And one thing you can do over time as you grow and build these assets, it's kind of like the flywheel uh, theory of marketing, but the assets at the center instead of the customer. And what ends up happening is that asset starts pulling off so much cash and you sell that asset, you can go buy more assets eventually your uh, account manager that you would have in a normal agency that serves this client right becomes, like becomes the manager. asset manager right and maybe that person even becomes your ceo of this portfolio of brands for you and you have multiple ams that become ceos over time and that's one way to do it without having to be beholden to private money or whatever if you don't want to go that route and it's a good way to start just to see if your agency can do it, right? <laughs> like before you take on, take on the money. So I think it's also easier to sign up clients when you can show a site in a niche that's doing well. Like if you're like that sure. editor, like you can sign people up really easily. So I, I usually tell people to pick a niche and just build a site and then after that, just outreach for clients. But again, out of topic. When you write papers and they just like this like out of topic thing, it just like scratch yeah. the whole thing when you write a dissertation. Well, that's what we're doing right now. Uh, that's, that's, I'm glad that was to my make education. the most frustratingly all over the place episode for you, Gail. Oh no, we've done worse with Matthew, I think, but uh, <laughs> oh, it's good. okay. Second best. Uh, the, other, the other thing I want to talk about is uh, investment funds, actually. So I know there's been a lot of kind of like trials and failures with this model from a lot of people. And like, I mean, I'm thinking about income store right now that has literally been labeled as like a pyramid, pyramid scheme and everything and yeah. toy shop. And I have yeah. no idea where people's money is. I haven't invested in that, uh, but that doesn't look very good right now. I know Wired Investors is not essentially like a very glorious story as well uh, from the past. Like they, they did everything above board. It's just they struggled with operations, I think. And so, and I still see more of these popping up, like these kind of like, well, just put your money in and we'll take care of everything and you don't have to think about anything and you get 20% return on your capital per year and then we'll just take the rest as operators, basically. What, what's your take on this, uh, on this business model that's popping up one more? Oh man, this is a, a very loaded question. There's so much to discuss. <laughs> 
let's talk about income store. I almost said income school. I keep doing that. They're totally yeah, yeah. two different businesses. They're, they're going to be happy. But, income school is going to be very happy. <laughs> yeah, they must be loving this. But yeah, it, so income store, uh, very different than the other ones you mentioned, right? I think that there is a bunch of red flags there, you know, even before this stuff broke out. Like anyone that promises you a guarantee, which they were, I think their guarantee was like 15% guarantee. Like, mm-hmm. That is not right. Like, even if they're being genuine about it, they're not trying to fleece you. They're like being real. They they're giving you that guarantee because they truly believe in what they're doing. That just means they aren't very good at business. <laughs> don't don't do it. So they're either scamming you or they're really naive. And both of them are not. I like this line. You. You're either stupid or like cynical. That's usually <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, so like those kind of guarantees are, is just, you know, you should run away. That's a red flag. I actually, uh, I unfortunately have a friend who did invest in them, a low amount for him. Uh, it was about 50K. And they, I, I think it, was, it might have been even a little bit less than 50K, but he actually got about 25K of it back. But the site was never making more than like 200, 300 bucks a month. And now, of course, he's lost the other 25K or so because of this whole uh, debacle. Uh, so again, I, I would say, if you are going to invest in something, you should at least have a modicum understanding of what it is you're investing in, right? You don't have to understand everything completely, but you should get the gist. And I feel like a lot of the investors, especially in Homestead Income School, you know, Income Store, uh, <laughs> a lot of the investors in Income Store don't know anything about internet marketing. Like mm-hmm. uh, the way, from what I understand, the way he raised a lot of that money, it was like rallies, kind of like rah-rah events, like radio ads, you know. People who are like a plumber and, you know, nothing against plumbers. I used to be an oil filled roughneck, but the average plumber, just like the average oil filled roughneck. Sounds like the wolf of Wall Street, you know? Exactly. Like selling these uh, shitty stocks, shitty penny stocks with like high commissions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's the thing with the income store. If anyone promises you a guarantee, that should be such a hard red flag that you, you know, don't go any, you'd never, never go into business with them, hopefully. Now, I understand people will get caught up in that because it's a very sexy sales pitch, right? It's just... Like not good. Usually going for the boring pitch, the guy who tells you we might lose everything, but you should give me 300K. Usually that guy is going to be better to trust than the other guy. Because <laughs> okay. at least he's being honest, right? He's like, we might lose everything. That's reality, right? You might lose the investment. So moving on to the next one with like wired investors, all that stuff. So that model can actually work. For example, much less complex uh, debt raising than what uh, Wired did. But the company that bought $15 million from us, they basically raised capital from, uh, you know, Series A, Series B, all that, all, or Series C or whatever. All that stuff is, is pretty similar to what uh, Wire Investor was attempting to do and trying to do, and it did partially do. What I have seen personally in the space is the more sizzle that these funds have, usually the worse they are. So the the fifteen million dollar one, as an example, like. Some of these ones, they have like great press, great marketing funnels, all this stuff. And they're like, wow, these guys are really going places. Like we had one guy who's like, I'm going, like, I think his goal is to buy like over a hundred businesses and he bought, he ended up buying like three, you know, but he had got a lot of press, a lot of press versus this other guy, this other company bought 15 million from us. Their old website basically used to just say like their homepage of their website was if you don't know who we are, you should probably leave this website. <laughs> like, like, there, you know, like there, there's no call to action, like they're very boring, you know, but they're the most successful model of this that I've seen so far in the space. So it can for sure work. And I think more will work. Like I think Dom seems to be having some good success with Onfolio. 
Uh, I think there's going to be a lot more people out, out there doing very similar things. And I think they will see success. But like anything else, there's going to be more people who experience failure as well. I agree. I think it's still a very young market. And uh, with that, there's going to be a lot of like, well, failed attempts, basically. And um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's interesting. But at the same time, I mean, it, it's like, honestly, if there was like someone that was like, an amazing operator, I'd love to invest money because like, I, I could vet the sites like really quickly and I'd be like, okay, here's, here's some money, etc. I just don't have time. And it'd be very easy for me as an investor to like invest in what I believe would be the better sites. But I haven't found someone that I'm like trusting enough with that at this point, yeah. basically. So. Uh, it could be difficult. It, it, another thing on this, on the su- really successful ones I was talking about, like they have like departments, right? It's not just like a solopreneur. Like they, they have a guy that all he does is due diligence. Like he doesn't even talk to the seller. He does the due diligence. Maybe he'll talk with the seller. Then they bring in the negotiator to actually close the deal, right? And then they have lawyers. Then they have an actual brand operator for those brands that they buy that have had nothing to do with the actual buying process, right? So they have a whole system in place. It's not just like, one operator and like yeah, here you yeah. go <laughs> they have a very good system in place can you give their names or not really i don't know actually <laughs> <laughs> okay. so right, i'm gonna right. beer on no <laughs> all right all right fair enough like yeah, justin's gonna be mad at you otherwise um <laughs> no, no that's not the reason that's not the reason uh i just i don't know if they want me to talk about yeah, talk yeah about fair it. Enough. <laughs> so they're pretty like close to the chest most of the time Fair enough. Uh, we can respect that. If you were an independent site builder, you get fired by Empire Flippers tomorrow. Because um, of this podcast. Because of, story. of you, 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 Justin, revealed, why? <laughs> you revealed these guys. Let's imagine you just changed the course of time 15 seconds ago, said their names, and you get fired. Uh, you know a little bit about building websites. Do you, A, start your own sites and essentially mm-hmm. like do that, or B, try to become an operator, or C, try to start an agency, or D, anything else? Uh, the yeah, last D- one I had on this one was like fly to Vegas and put all your money on red. Um, so there's that <laughs> option as well. <laughs> I, I, Macau is way closer, man. I'll go to Macau. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a good question. You know, I, I was in the SEO Blueprint group with uh, Glenn Alsop. And they, I did an AMA for them and they asked me what I would do if I was starting from scratch. And I think it's pretty similar to the same answer I would give you with like one modification at the end. I would definitely start a content site. Now, if I was low on money, uh, whatever, because of the situation, I would probably start an agency first, probably mm-hmm. a Facebook ad agency, just because it's easy and quick. Uh, I think I could get it out to 10K very fast. And then I'm good in terms of money and I would start putting my resources into building something with better leverage, which would be a content site. So I'd start off as you know your typical stage one site or buy one if I could, uh, if I have the money to speed everything up. And then I would look at building a real community, probably a paid Facebook group, like a recurring membership on a Facebook group, lead magnets, whole nine yards. I would create a gigantic autoresponder that probably went out for like two years or something like that. That was all going to all my different reviews, all my other articles, real, building a real community, not just focused on SEO. And if that email funnel goes good, I would also run paid traffic towards my lead magnet, which would be filled by affiliate links and a subscription group, all that kind of stuff. I, I basically try to go and make a really big, solid media company that eventually okay. I could sell my own products on as well. Uh, the one modification here I would add is I probably would go uh, to these high net worth individuals because I know them, right? Like I know these people, I can probably raise some of this money. I know a lot of talent in our circles as well. So 
I'm already kind of like a natural bridge. So that's probably what I would do. I would be the bridge between the high net worth guys, the private equity guys are looking into Main Street uh, where we're at and like the digital nomads are really talented, lifestyle driven, all that stuff. And I'd be the bridge between the two. So that's probably That'll what I would cool do. One, but Maybe you can open an office for these guys where like digital, no, like a really cool one with a pool and like, you know, all that stuff. I got the villas. I do it every year. Fancy villas where like the digital nomads can live in, funded by investors, where they own the websites from. What do you think about that? I got to add one more thing. I would only do this after I tried to apply to work with you and Mark and you guys reject me. Then I I would go do what I just said earlier. (laughs) But but yeah, that'd be a pool, an office. Sounds cool, man. <laughs> All right. So if someone wants to start this one uh, or wants to get grave hired, uh, whichever comes first. <laughs> Please don't do that. I, I love my job. <laughs> uh, all right. Justin, um, don't fire me, please. <laughs> my last question is going to go back to selling your site because that was kind of like the main point of this podcast is what's the one thing you see most people do wrong when they sell their website that listeners can take and do a better job at? Being too emotional, to be honest. Most sellers are first-time sellers, just like most buyers are first-time buyers often. And what ends up happening is if you are a first-time seller, it's often the first business you ever built. So you have an emotional equity in the business that is not reality equity, right? Like it, mm-hmm. the business is worth a lot more to you than it's actually worth sometimes. And it's good to set that aside. Now, the other thing I would say is if you're going into selling a business, to two other things is realize that before you enter in negotiations, you know, you got your valuation, you should have a minimum price threshold. So if you got a valuation for, I don't know, $500,000, ask yourself, what is the minimum you'd be willing to take where you'd walk away happy? Maybe that's 450 or 460, right? And the reason why I say that is because when you get in the heat of negotiations, especially if you're dealing with a savvy buyer, they might tuck you down below that threshold if you never set aside that time to you know really put your your foot down on where your minimum is it's very easy to get especially if you're not using a broker that doesn't have like a business analyst there helping you it's easy for that negotiations to maybe overpower you if you don't know what you're doing so have that minimum price threshold and the last thing is when you are negotiating price isn't always the thing you have to negotiate on you can sometimes build up like like say someone like that five hundred thousand dollar business someone offered you four hundred thousand dollars with a hundred thousand dollar earn out and you want more money up front come down on that price a bit be flexible you we, if your minimum price threshold is 450 say hey give me 460 and they're like well i can come up to 440 like you know what 450 done and he's like okay and now you get 450 up front right so if you want more money up front sometimes it's worth it to be have that flexibility if you want more money overall sometimes you have to be more flexible on that earn out but overall, always approach negotiations as a collaboration instead of a showdown. There's so, so many sellers and buyers who make this mistake. Like, no, I want this. Like, no, this. Like, and you're like, guys, guys, let, let, you know, let's be more so collaborative. So much tension in the discussion <laughs> as well. Right? Yeah, it's, it's a high tension process, right? Whether it's your first one or fifth one or whatever, it's, there's always obstacles and challenges to overcome. And it, is, it can be high stress. So just approach it with a collaborative nature. Try to find out what the buyer's problems are and you'll probably be able to solve that problem with your business and be able to sell for a higher price. Okay, well, uh, I think we're done with this podcast. Any last words of wisdom and or where can people find you online? Uh, if someone wanted to reach out to me, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Just greg just at empirefortress.com. 
It's just grim. <laughs> hold, hold one of my business cards on the mountain in the Himalayas. I'm like, I will fly to you. <laughs> there is a projection. Yes. a business card like Batman, you know? Yeah, yeah. We need the director of marketing here now. <laughs> All right, let's um, go back. So Greg at EmpireFlippers.com, right? Yes, Greg at EmpireFlippers.com. Feel free to shoot me an email. Pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, if you send me a message on Facebook, uh, it's just Facebook.com slash Gregory the Writer and add me we can become friends on there i apologize for all my uh, bad poetry and stories but i use that as a place to dump a bunch of my fiction but i've also just started recently using linkedin so you can find me on linkedin as well just, linkedin is uh, actually more active than i thought i started looking at it again and i'm like oh actually people will hang out there and like click on stuff and everything actually so oh, i'm having so much fun trolling all these uh business thought leaders <laughs> it's great fun on there <laughs> that's that's the next podcast we do together how to troll business. <laughs> perfect perfect anyway let's close it here thank you for listening thank you everyone we'll see you next week for another episode bye greg see you man all right, that's it for this week's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed Greg. I think he was quite truthful and not trying to give us a lot of corporate bullshit. At some point, I cut him, but overall, it was pretty good. And I quite enjoyed this interview. And if you did as well, please don't forget to subscribe, give us a review or a comment, and give us a thumb up. See you next week for another episode. Bye.